Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. It is Coast to Coast AM. Hello there, Connie Willis with you. Wow, Valentine's Day is coming up. I didn't even realize it, honestly. I just was like, what, 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 Valentine's? And I know that because it's on, what is it, Tuesday, I think it is, that uh, everybody's kind of celebrating it this weekend, right? And then... Also with the Super Bowl, amazing weekend, lots going on and beautiful weather, at least where I am. And hey, you can't beat that, right? So we've got another great guest coming up beforehand, though. I want to remind you, people are asking me about the Robert Treat deathbed confession. What's going on? Surgery coming up in, uh, on the 20th. You can find out more by going to my podcast, my podcast, excuse me, which is Connie Willis, the podcast, go to Connie Willis, the podcast. And if you haven't heard all of the episodes, all the drops, well, get in there now and catch up on it. Connie Willis, the podcast. And then Monday, you're going to hear another set of them. And then you're going to hear from Philip Kinsella joining the show and asking some, some questions uh, to Robert. And he is part of the Kinsella twins in the UK. And we've had both of these people here as guests on Coast to Coast AM. If you need more information, go to ConnieWillis.com. Join my other shows as well. We have a great time. And from time to time, we have people like our next guest that join us. In fact, he's going to be on Blue Rock Talk, uh, my show, in uh, the next Thursday. Not this coming Thursday, but the next Thursday. So you can see him live uh, sometimes he wears the patch. Sometimes I like when he wears the patch. I think it's cool looking. And then, uh, he, he will be showing us a bunch of the pictures and stuff that, 
that uh, you don't get to see here on radio, but you get to hear and you will learn the character very quickly with just a few words. You will already feel as if you know the Captain uh, Martin Bayerly as your uncle. You know what? You know what? I think that's true, Marty. I think you are kind of more like uh, everybody's uncle. What do you think of that? <laughs> what do I say? <laughs> <laughs> He's the pirate. I got to tell everybody. So we had you on a long time ago. You've been on my show several times. You and I have become friends along the way. And where I had first seen you was, uh, I guess it was History Channel's um, uh, Billion Dollar Wreck. And I, oh, I love the series. I think, I think you picked up on me much earlier than that. You were before Billion Dollar Wreck, I believe. No, that's where I saw you, because that oh, was really? you. Oh, Siri's talking to me now. Hold on. <laughs> Siri's talking to us. She's like, no, it was when she watched the Billion Dollar Wreck. Um, no, no, no. I saw that, and I just I couldn't believe it. I thought it was this incredible documentary. I thought they did a great job, and that's where I saw you and your son, and I think Grant, Grant is amazing. I've only seen pictures of your daughter. She's beautiful. Um, but you've got a whole family thing going on and dude, man, come on, let's, let's, yeah, the, let's the get the money far from the tree. <laughs> <laughs> so tell people, you know, it's interesting. Your, your first book, I know you got another one coming out, but your, your book is absolutely amazing. Uh, when, when I heard, okay, here's this, here's this, uh, and I'm going to let you tell the entire story, but. When I had seen, oh my gosh, look at this wreck, look at the money down there. Why hasn't he pulled it up yet? You know that I went to investors and I started working with you on that because it's it's like, why has this not been brought up yet? So tell, and your book is amazing. When somebody, when I first tell people about it, they say, oh yeah, right, whatever. And then when they get your book, they are absolutely there, there, there. They are. They, then that's when they want to talk to you. The uh, yeah, the uh, the book, the Czar's Treasure, it's available on Amazon. Uh, goes into detail on, to, on exactly why the ship carries the cargo that she was always rumored to have carried. Uh, the book details a three million dollar cargo in nineteen oh nine coins that would have a value today uh, uh, about a billion dollars. So that was the premise for the uh, History Channel show, Billion Dollar Wreck. We've since come into information, uh, and this is, this is more exciting, that the $3 million on the wreck that we've identified initially, and that's in my book, The Czar's Treasure, was only a part of a $25 million shipment. So if a $3 million is a billion dollars today, uh, $25 million is about 7 or $8 billion. So I would mm. say History Channel is significantly undervalued our our uh, story and uh, and the price on the wreck so we're we're in the, we're at least the five billion dollars very conservatively i don't uh, know you do so much research and you find out so much i mean in the next coming months it could be the trillion dollar wreck and i would like that that would be okay no i don't think it will be, i don't think it will be the trillion dollar wreck we we every time i looked at the wreck uh, we found two cargoes basically one was an eight hundred thousand dollar u.s navy cargo that was going to the Great White Fleet, then at Gibraltar. Then the $3 million uh, cargo, which was a short-term loan uh, made by the Russian State Bank, going to Russian warships at Gibraltar also. And then, of course, what we did is we identified the additional $22 million, uh, which makes the $25 million shipment overall. There's a lot of history involved in this. 
and and you have to really understand the facts uh, that are related to the cargo. Very most of these salvage companies, uh, you know, the, the easy thing is that well, here's a manifest, is is the cargo on the manifest? We're going to go out and recover it. And that's the extent of it. Uh, but when you look at all the history of salvage, you look at such wrecks as the Laurentic, the Niagara, the Edinburgh, all those were government shipments, and the shipments were not disclosed until after the cargoes had been recovered. And that's exactly what we have here. We have two government shipments, or one quasi-government. The U.S. government uh, Navy payroll was a, definitely a government shipment, and that was 800000 in 1909. That's conservatively about $200 million today. So if we focus just on that cargo alone, there's plenty of room for profit for both our investors and for us recovering that cargo alone. But the $3 million was always the rumored cargo aboard the wreck. If you look at our website, rms-republic.com, and there are links, there are links on, on your site, Coast to Coast, that references our sites. But if you look at the rumors that originated, originated the $3 million has been the solid number. And when I researched that, uh, I originally thought the money that was on the Oceanic, which was a White Star line that left New York January 13th, 1909, it had $3.5 million on board. And I said, well, that has to be it. Another White Star liner, Republic White Star liner, they're both coming from the same pier. They said it went on the Oceanic, but I think it went on the Republic instead. And the $3 million complied to the rumor. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut. I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. 
Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we did literally years of research on that, and we did import-export analysis. It's all, all of this information is in my book. We identified the $3 million on the Oceanic, and unfortunately, and I had said this years ago, I said if we identify that the Oceanic's cargo arrived, there's no money on the Republic. So we identified it, that it arrived. We found it in Bank of France records. We're actually in the Bank of France records, uh, and the Oceanic's cargo arrived. And I was actually very, very disappointed because I put myself up to a challenge. Did that money arrive? And it, it arrived. So it went, we then went back to the, the uh, market, basically reading all the newspapers, the financial newspapers in New York at the time, trying to identify what's going on. And we found another $3 million transaction. It was a 30-day short-term loan. Uh, there was no uh, lender identified. There was no borrower identified. But several newspapers reported it, and it was at a very low interest rate. It was at 1.5% interest rate. Uh, excuse me, it was, a, yeah, it was a 1.5% interest rate for 30 days. Uh, of course, that's an annualized rate. So uh, there we have a $3 million transaction. The, the, the basic concept was, well, what's happening in the market? You know, we have this rumor of $3 million on Republic. Well, there's this cargo on the Oceanic that probably fits white star liner but no that arrived now we have this other short-term loan 30 days and what else is happening in the market well russia at the time was selling its 1909 four and a half percent bonds in major markets around the world they were selling them in paris and london and amsterdam and berlin and of course naturally we anticipated that they would be selling them in new york as well so i said all right let's let's investigate the russian loan a little bit see how that worked so we went into the uh, the Paris archives of Credit Lyonnais and Societe Generale. They were two banks in the French syndicate that floated the czarist bond. And we found the actual syndicate document, how Russia was paid out of the $240 million that they raised in 1909. And then we also identified what that money was for. Basically, and we get into the history now, in 1904, Japan uh, attacked Port Arthur, the Russian naval base at Port Arthur, because Japan wanted to extend its influence into Korea. 
uh, and into China. And of course, uh, there was a conflict between Russia because Russia wanted to have a warm water naval base, and Port Arthur provided that. So I think it was February 8th, 1904, I think, if I remember correctly, that Japan launched a sneak attack on Port Arthur, bottled in the Russian Russian fleet. So Russia sent uh, its Baltic fleet all the way around the world to the Straits of Tsushima, and the Russian battleship fleet was destroyed. Japan essentially won that war. But when you fight a war, countries need money. So in 1904, after Japan attacked Russia, Russia had to raise money to fight Japan. And they raised $150 million on the French market. It was, a, it was only a five-year loan. No one expected uh, Russia to lose. They had an easy time raising money in, in, uh, in uh, Paris. Paris were the czar's bankers. And they raised $150 million, five-year loan. And, of course, in 1904, five-year loan, when is it repayable? In 1909. So 1909 rolls around, and they have this major obligation. Uh, the $150 million loan is coming due, and of course what they, what they do, you might think of it as if we did it privately, it would be a Ponzi scheme. What they do is they put out another loan to pay off the first loan. Uh, so the second loan was put out in 1909. It closed January 22, 1909, which is the very day the Republic sailed from New York. It was $240 million. $150 million was to pay off the 1904 loan coming due in May of 1909, and $90 million uh, was to be applied to Russia's budget for 1909. So we sell the bonds in New York, uh, and some bonds in New York. Uh, so we acquired the syndicate document, and we identified that Russia didn't get that $90 million in new money right away. When the loan closed January 22nd, they didn't get $90 million that day. That $90 million, after they segregated the 150 to pay off the 1904 loan coming due, the $90 million was paid to Russia over a period of six months. So she received 20% February 22nd, 20% March 22nd, 15 15%, 15%, until they received the entire uh, $90 million. So there we have, that was the key, that was the breakthrough, that was the the epiphany, if you will, of why Russia, why someone needed 30-day money at a very low interest rate, because Russia didn't get that money, the $90 million, for 30 days. Now, we only got a first payment. They got $18 million on February 22nd. So that's why the old saying is, if you have money coming to you in the future and you need money today, you borrow against the money coming to you in the future. So that's the 30-day loan. And why was it at 1.5%? The going market rate, the 30-day money market rate, was 2.25% in New York at the time. Who gets money below the 30-day market rate? The market dictates the price. Well, Russia, even though the loan closed January 22, 1909, the money became Russia's money, although it didn't receive it for, uh, for 30 days and then a payout over six months. So Russia earns interest on that money until it's received. So Russia was getting one and a quarter percent on its money until it was paid off, until it received it. But it was only paying one and a half percent for the money it was borrowing in New York. So essentially one quarter of one percent on an annualized basis. It was getting free money at New York. And it was already into its 1909 budget. So that's why it got the three million dollar short term loan. And that makes perfect sense. The Republic sailed January 22nd, 1909. The loan closed in Europe 
uh, 3 p.m. January 22nd, 1909. That's 9 a.m. New York time. New York time is enough time to move the $3 million. Let's just focus on that, what we what we have in my book, and then we'll go into where the extra $22 million comes from. Uh, the $3 million is enough time to move it from the sub-treasury in Lower Manhattan to the White Star Line Pier, uh, which is just a few blocks away. So the $3 million we identified, it was a short-term loan uh, brought out by the state bank. We then acquired through the through the Society General and Credit Lane's internal banking documents that there was an instruction by the Minister of Finance, the Russian Minister of Finance, to disperse uh, uh, from the directed to the French banks who held their money. It says, all right, on February 22nd, we need three payments of $1 million each to the state bank account on February 22nd. Well, that makes sense. We actually found two instructions, a third one we haven't found yet, but no one single bank of the syndicate had $3 million to disperse. That's why they had to issue three instructions. We found two of them, one to Credit Lyonnaise and one to Society General, uh, $1 million each. And it's to the state bank on February 22nd. All the other disbursements the, for the remaining six months went to the state treasury. This is the only time those payments go to the state bank. Well, the state bank was the commercial bank of the Russian government. It was a short-term borrower. They are the borrower, and they needed to get that money from the loan to repay the 30-day loan in New York. Now the question is, why could they get below market rate interest? All right, let's let's talk about the little financing and, and how banks operated at the time. Everyone was on the gold standard. Uh, and uh, uh, since they're they on the gold standard, you have foreign exchange banks. Now, how does a foreign exchange bank make its money? A foreign exchange bank will have credits abroad that it could sell in New York. Let's say it's a New York foreign exchange bank. will have credits abroad that it will sell to its New York customers at a profit. So that their New York customers can make remittances to French debt obligations. If they own a winery, for example, uh, uh, if they're importing French wine, they have to pay the the French winery money uh, to for that wine. Well, rather than ship physical gold, they would find a bank that has the credits abroad that they could purchase at a profit from the you know the bank can sell at a profit to the person who has to make the payment obligation. Again, there's no wire transfers at the time. You either paid in gold or you paid in credits abroad. And that's how the foreign exchange market worked. So where is the New York bank getting these credits for the money uh, that is, is loaning to Russia for a 30-day short-term loan? It's getting those credits abroad. So that's why it could loan that money at below the market rate because it's getting those credits abroad and it can sell the credits abroad at a profit once they become available, once Russia pays in 30 days. So that's, that also makes sense. That's why Russia could get below market rates, because the foreign exchange bank is making the profit uh, in Paris. So that, that's the $3 million. Now we get into more history. Uh, we get into why, the, why did $22 million? And this is, this is new information that we just recently acquired. And, okay, hold uh, that hold that thought then. Hold that thought because uh I'm sorry. Can you repeat all that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I had some trouble with my headphones. No, we're, we're going to take a break here so we'll come back with, <laughs> with the new stuff. We'll allow you to take uh, a breath there. And 
uh, I'm looking forward to having you on my show in the future as well on Blue Rock and my podcast. And you guys, it's it's no longer Captain Martin Bayerly. It is Uncle Captain Martin Bayerly. I love that. I think that totally works with your personality. Um, we've got definitely more to talk about. And you guys are going to be surprised, uh, those of you that don't know the story at all, when you even know how close it is and, you know, what, he, what he's got to do uh, to get this money. So let's see what happens. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz, this time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.